0: real quick before we dive into this episode of the podcast. Be sure to grab your free PDF copies of my latest books at frugal.show forward slash free. Now on to the show. Know what really sells your product or service? It's not marketing or ads. It's you, your blog, your social feeds, your podcast. These are all ways we try to share ourselves and our value and build trust with an audience. But what if you could go even further? What if you could connect with potential clients or customers in a way that's even more personal, more engaging, more effective? That's where webinars come in. Hosting a live lesson, product showcase, or Q&A session is the best way to share yourself and prove yourself to an audience. But wait, you're thinking, aren't webinars a giant pain? Yes. Yes, they are, but not with Webinar Ninja. Webinar Ninja has one job, to make webinars easy for you. It's the user-friendliest software ever created for webinars, so you can focus on your audience, not the tech. Here's the best part. You can use Webinar Ninja absolutely free. Just head to WebinarNinja.com forward slash Sarah, where you can sign up for Webinar Ninja's new free plan. Share yourself, prove yourself, earn the trust that creates customers and inspires loyalty. Head to WebinarNinja.com forward slash Sarah and sign up today. Welcome to the Frugalpreneur podcast. I'm your host, Sarah St. John, and my guest today works with investors under 40 who are considering investment returns as their primary source of income within the next five years. He is the founder of Adaptive Wealth Partners. Welcome to the show, Michael Eekman. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me on the show today. Can you give us a little bit of your background and history and how you got into this area? Yeah, it was definitely
1: not my original vision for what I wanted to do in life. I'd Originally been in coaching at the high school level, was looking to coach professionally, ended up transitioning to athletic training and sports medicine, got a couple job offers to coach or to to train on the professional side and realized very quickly that traveling six months out of the year probably wasn't conducive to family life and having kids and raising them at that point. And I didn't really have anyone showing me the way on that side. So I had a client that was a recruiter at one of the banks and she kept telling me, hey, you'd be great in banking and finance. And I kind of blew it off at first because I was early 20s, making really good money, was wearing shorts and a t-shirt to work every day and just couldn't envision having to wear a suit or a tie to work. But then when 2007, 2008 hit, I thought about what I wanted to do in the future. And I had heard from athletes that I had worked with and business owners that they were getting either no financial advice or very poor financial advice. And so I set out to make a difference and I went and got my investment licensing done and worked with a couple large firms here in the US. And late last year, decided that it was time to start my own firm so I can continue customizing the solutions for our client.
0: Cool. I worked in, I guess you could consider it the banking industry for, I think it was like nine months or something back in 05. I was just a teller at a Washington Mutual back when those existed. So I guess you could consider that. the financial industry. (laughs) I mean, you're the, the front line of it, that's for sure. Yeah. People definitely get moody when it comes to their money. I have a bunch of stories, but anyway. So can you tell us a little bit about Adaptive Wealth Partners and how you help people with wealth building? And one thing I was seeing on your website is trading versus investing, which I'm curious to hear more
1: about that. I have this belief that we owe it to our clients to give them empirical evidence of advice that we're giving i've heard and been coached in the financial industry that oh you should just call and check in on your clients well i think you need to take it a step further than that it's always nice to be able to check in on someone make sure that they're doing okay but at the same time if i'm just giving clients advice based on feelings that i have there's a good proprietary need for that to be accurate and we don't always see that in the financial industry you know when the market's down I get a lot of clients that'll come to us and have multiple accounts at different firms. And they say, you know, it's nice that you tell us what we need to be doing each time we have a conversation and you keep it simple. Instead of giving them a three or 400 page plan, like that's my plan, that's the way I'm gonna get them from where they are today to where they want to be in the future and achieve their goals. But I have to break it down into something that's simple enough that they can go out and complete the tasks. I mean, some clients it's hard enough to get them to pay off a credit card or, to put extra money in savings and to build that wealth mentality or to look for a deal when they're buying a house or a car. But at the same time, that's what my job is. And that's why we founded Adaptive Wealth Partners was really to just be able to not only give sound financial advice on the investment side, but sound financial planning on on the planning side. Because I believe that everyone Need some type of a financial plan. And a lot of people have one, they just don't call it a financial plan. It's just spend what they have in their bank account. That's their plan. And once we start bringing our clients planning mindset into place, and we start dealing with the way people approach investing and savings, I mean, if you think about it, none of us were really taught that. I mean, I go back to when I was younger, and I would be interested in how bills are paid and how money is made. And what do we save? And my parents would really just tell me, you know, Hey, don't worry about it. We have the money to do what we need to do, or we don't have the money to do this, but it's really none of your business. And for me, it was I'm an experienced learner where I want to see what's going on and understand the why behind things. And I think if we can bring money skills to people that are in their 20s and 30s, they're going to have a much more successful life than if I try to change someone that's doing the same thing that they've been doing for the last 60 years when they're at that older age. So, We want to lay the foundation for building wealth i mean wealth is achievable but it's also not just the dollar amount that's in your bank account a lot of times it's just being able to buy the things that you want to buy when you want to buy them or being able to take the time off from your activities at work and the grind and being able to go out and do the things that you want to do. So part of that, like you mentioned, was that trading versus investing. And when you look at it, we always want to invest for the long term at this firm. I do have some clients that have accounts that they manage that we subadvise on and we work through some different scenarios. But if you're day trading, that's really not what we do. We want to work with the, the long-term investor, and we want to make sure that the they're not taking too much risk in order to get to their goal because the downside's always there. When we look back and there's been trade wars here in the U.S., I mean, if you go back to the founding of our country, the first trade war that we really had as a country was about tea. Most people think of it as the Boston Tea Party. You know, we had a trade war about the taxes that were going to be paid on that. And we have had trade wars on things like chickens, bananas, cars, steel, all those types of things over the last, you know, two, three hundred years. And we want to make sure that when you pick a side as a trader, one side's always going to get hurt. And depending on when you're buying and when you're selling, both sides could get hurt. So we wanna make sure that that we differentiate ourselves between traders and being worried about the little micro movements of the investments. I have clients across the board. I think my oldest client is 91, youngest client is two or three. For us, it was, the idea and doing the research that if I had known what I knew now when I was in my 20s and I was able to work 20-hour days and put in all this effort and energy and all this kind of things that I could put together to make life better, if I knew what I then what I knew now, I'd be in a much better financial place myself. I mean, I've got my own financial plan and building on that and finances aren't something that's comfortable to talk about. And I feel like Especially at an earlier age, you're just out there looking for how to make a dollar as quickly as possible. And if we could slow down and start looking at the big picture that you probably don't even know exists at that moment in time, you're like, well, do I go and put $500 out of the yearly income into a retirement account or? Do I spend $500 on going to the beach for the weekend? It's kind of that toss up and being able to have that conversation with younger individuals, the research shows that they're going to be in a much better financial position going forward. And a lot of our clients are transitioning the ones that are older from passing money onto their kids. Their kids are in their 50s and 60s and their kids are doing well.
0: When I was growing up, I always felt like I had a good handle and understanding of money because my parents were and still are very frugal that's not why I named the podcast what it is but anyway so I I grew up around that but then as I was an adult and on my own I wasn't paying attention like I was spending more than what was coming in and I didn't even notice until I took that financial peace class by Dave Ramsey I think people in their 20s 30s maybe even into 40s they don't like you said they don't really teach this kind of stuff in school I know when I was in school they did teach you like how to write from a checkbook, which who knows if they do that anymore. But that was about it.
1: There's not much education about money, about finances, things like how do you apply for student loans or how do you apply for financial aid? How do you buy a car? I mean, my wife came to me, we got married six years ago, and she asked me the question of, well, why do you always rent houses? Well, my parents did that's what we did growing up and i don't know any better and no one ever sat down and had that conversation with me and so we've transitioned you know now we own 3 houses i think we've bought 6 houses in the last 6 years well, we owned 2 before but bought 4 more houses in the last 6 years so we're we're in a position to where you can do really good things no matter what life stage you're at I mean, it's never, the good thing about finances is it's never too late to start learning and laws and rules change and investments change and the world is changing around us. And you've got to be up on the the quality of the advice that you're giving and receiving from people. I mean, there's all kinds of YouTube videos about how to invest and you can live stream investment and TikTok advice. And some of it's good and some of it's not so good. So you really want to be cognizant and and aware of what's going on out there and what you're listening to so that you do get the good advice. I mean, I wish they'd have taught all this stuff. I call it common sense financial advising because a lot of it is, you know, when we start talking to people, they're like, yeah, that makes sense. It's not even a question. Yeah, I want to pay off some of my bills. Yes, having a mortgage." is okay. Do you want to pay off debt? Do you want to use debt? You know, really trying to find that customized solution for each client is really important
0: to us. Are they like investment properties or like do you own them and rent them out? Maybe that's too personal of a question, but I'm just curious. I'm pretty much an open book. I
1: mean, you can ask me me anything out there. I'll I'll tell you the good, bad, and the ugly of what I've done and the mistakes that I've made and We have two rental properties. We always laugh, me and my wife, when we talk to our real estate agent and she goes, is this going to be the final house? And we always laugh and look each other and say, yes. And then a year or two down the road, we end up, Selling that house and buying a new house. We recently, about a year and a half ago, moved into a a giant of a house. Just because we have four children and they're getting older, and everyone needs their own space. So even in the last month or two, we've had conversations going back and forth on, hey, what do we do now that one of ours is going to be a senior next year? What, What are we looking at in terms of do we downsize the house? Do we just hold on to the house and keep it until? we're ready to move. So my wife being in the military has definitely done a lot of moving in her life. So that's kind of caused us to not have the mindset that we have to stay in a forever home. But the intention is always that we're going to be in that home for the rest of our lives, but then another opportunity comes up.
0: I don't know if this is anything that you specialize in or have an opinion on, but maybe so since it seems like maybe this is kind of what you've done. So like we bought a house in 07. It was really affordable uh, in McKinney, Texas. It's in the DFW area. And back then McKinney wasn't, Mm -hmm. it was the boondocks. That's what people would say. So we bought it it low because prices were low back then. And then it really went up in value. So then we sold it in 2014, got a pretty nice profit on it. And then we lived in a couple of apartments until we found another house. And now we live in, a town called Forney, Texas, which at the time we moved here in 2017, four years ago, people considered it the boondocks, but now it's booming. And I feel like we're always picking the right places, the up and coming cities and not necessarily intentionally, I don't think, but that's just kind of how it happens. And now we're kind of in a situation, we just refinanced because the mortgage rates were so low, but now we're kind of like thinking we could sell this and make a lot of profit. So I'm just kind of curious if that's a good investment strategy to like Buy a house in an up-and-coming town or suburb, sit on it for five or ten years, and then sell it, and then rinse, wash, and repeat Or
1: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like that idea that you don't buy the biggest house in the subdivision, you buy the smallest house in the subdivision because you're going to have the most appreciation in your value. So it's not a bad idea as long as you're living where you want to live. I have this conversation with a lot of younger clients and they're like, well, if I stop drinking Starbucks every day, I'll save $5 a day and that's how I'm going to make all my money. And I'm like, if you don't drink Starbucks every day, are you going to have a good day at work? Are you going to put in good work? Are you going to hate your job because you didn't have coffee in the morning? Is it like the thing that centers you and makes you peaceful? And they're like, yeah, I was like, okay, well, maybe we don't want to get rid of that, right? So I think part of what you've done is probably it's where you guys want to live. And you just happen to be be in a situation where prices went up considerably in that time. And you're in a market that's seriously growing. I mean, if we look at the Dallas market, it's grown exponentially over the last few years. And and even I mean in the last 10, 15 years, we've seen that. I mean, I, I have a lot of friends that are advisors and and work in Dallas, and there's tons of growth there. So that's something to consider. And a lot of it's gonna be what do you guys want to do with it? I mean. It's different if you take the money and you invest it in the next thing. I mean, if you keep rolling over this house price, eventually you'll have your house paid for because you've done all the savings and and kept the money invested or or saved up at some point. I mean, I know putting money in the bank right now is kind of like having your money in the unemployment line. It's really not working for you at all. So a lot of it's that financial plan that we put together for you is what does it look like if we put... X amount of dollars down on this house? What does it look like if we just buy it with a loan with the minimum amount down? What does it look like if we maximize that? Can our money do better for us somewhere else when we've sold the house and we go to buy a new house? And part of that is what we do in our financial planning system is be able to model out all these scenarios for a client. So instead of me telling a client, Hey, I think that this is what it's going to do for you. And this is, you know, I've done it enough that I probably know what the best scenario is. We just had a client three or four months ago that's a teacher that said, I wanted to buy a house outside Boston because I have my kids there. I want to be able to go visit in the summer when it's 116 degrees here in Vegas. I want to get out of the heat. It's still hot there and humid, but she wants to go back and visit. And we had the conversation of, well, as long as you're working, here's what the numbers are. As soon as you retire, you need to sell the house here or the house there because you can't afford both. Right now, you could afford both of them, but we actually modeled that out and we said, "Here's what it would do if you refinanced your current house, took the money from that, paid cash for the other house. Here's what it would look like if we paid off your current home and just bought the house using some investments and some cash from the and uh, mortgage on the other side." But we're able to model that out, and I think that's what's missing is the factual piece of okay, if I do this activity over
0: here. What's it going to do to the rest of my life? Instead of selling the house, maybe renting it out. I don't know if that's something you want to get into, but I'm kind of curious about that. I'll give you my
1: experience and some of my clients' experience. The decision on whether you rent a property out to me has a lot to do with the location and the quality of the tenants that are available. So we've had properties that maybe weren't in the greatest neighborhood for renting out, and we look at it and we, put the finances on the paper and we say look this is how much we're going to get in rent this is how much expenses are going to be for this property does it make sense do you want to do it and then there's other questions that you have to ask yourself do you want to do it yourself and find a renter and put together the lease i mean that piece isn't hard you can find them online all over the place or do you want to have a property manager i mean our properties in north carolina up until a few years ago didn't have a property manager my wife kind of managed it from here but she had the same renters for years I mean, it's the same two renters in two different properties and they never moved out. So it was great. And it wasn't until we started seeing they were moving out and we just decided that at that point we didn't have any friends there to check on the property. So we wanted to make sure that, that it was taken care of. So we got a property manager. Take some of the headaches off, but it's additional expense that you have to account for. So... When we look at the the opportunity to rent property and real estate, every one of my clients that's built significant wealth owns real estate, whether it's their own property or other properties that they've built. It's a piece to the puzzle that we've put together for their assets and their wealth. And you just have to understand what it's going to take to rent that property out. So it's not necessarily a bad thing, especially as the market continues to move upwards in real estate, you can always look back and you can say, well, like, if I'd held on to it, I've got an extra 10-15% out of it. Yeah, but it, it just as easily could have gone the other way too. So you do what you do with the financial plan, based on the facts that you have. And we take the recommendation that we have for our clients, and we'll sit down and we'll have that conversation be more than happy to run your scenario through our system and get you an answer on, hey, this is what it would look like actually when you factor in cleaning the house out at the end of the rental period and paint and new floors, things like that that come up when you're renting a house out and you have to have that expense in there to be built out. But I also know that it's an easy way to generate additional income, especially if you've refinanced the house and you're at a low mortgage payment, it's really enticing. And that's the scenario that we're in with those two properties that we have that we're renting out is that the the payment on them is ridiculously low for what we're getting out of them so we bought them at the right time sounds like you've done the same thing so it's probably more than likely this is where i separate from fact versus feeling probably an okay situation for you to go through but I would assume that you would l- enjoy knowing what the facts are going to be. If if we keep it, this is how much we can expect to make versus the headache that you're going to bring on if there is a headache and versus, hey, if we cash it out, this is what we could do with it towards our new house or towards an investment portfolio and diversify what you have going on. So there's, I mean, the problem with financial advice is there's a thousand different directions you can go. So as a financial advisor, my job is to do more listening and observing than it is talking. Of course, we have a a big financial plan for our clients and we, we work through all these different scenarios that they have going on in life. And as soon as something changes or they look at adding something financially or they pay something off, the financial plan changes. But the overall plan for our clients is really just three simple things. The first one is that they've got to keep the appropriate amount of emergency cash. We always recommend having six to nine months worth of expenses and not just your bills, right? Expenses like going out to eat or spending time with the family on vacation or paying your taxes or your insurance on your home, things like that, that you don't pay very often, but when you want to do them, they come up. And for the last eight years, clients have been arguing with me about keeping emergency cash because it's not working for you. It's earning 0.01% in the bank right now. No one's excited about interest rates right now, even though it looks like interest rates are going to start kicking up. I mean, they can't go down much lower, but we want to make sure that that appropriate amount of emergency cash is there. The second thing that we do that's different from other advisors out there is we put every investment before we offer it to a client or we put it in a client's account, we put it through what we call our 2000 asset test. And if you think of an asset test, like a stress test, when you're on the treadmill with the EKG on testing the strength and quality of your heart muscle, that's the same thing we're doing with the investments. We're testing the strength and quality of investments and the reason that we pick the year 2000 is because since then we've seen a number of situations that have really challenged the market i mean you had 9 11 you had the tech bubble burst you had the real estate bubble burst i mean you've had a pandemic since then we want to make sure that the investments are designed to do what they need to do brings us to the third step of the plan the third step is really where we we set clients apart. We prepare them mentally and financially to take advantage of downturns in the market. We call it our extra spare tire fund. And that's a dollar amount that's equal to their emergency cash, but it's simply earmarked To buy into the markets when we have a pullback. And we do that through what we call our 10% down, 10% in strategy. So when the market has a 10% pullback, we're putting 10% of that extra spare tire fund into the investment portfolio. And we can actually do that all the way down to a 40% down, 40% in strategy before that fund has fully been used. And the thing to remember is that 40% down seems like a lot. And we seem to think that it happens a lot more often than it actually does. And in the last 70 years, that's only happened three times, right? We just happen to have two of them in the last 21 years where we had 2000, 2001, 2007, 2008. We had a 40% downturn. But you're much more likely to see a 10% downturn, which has happened 38 times in the last 70 years. So when we have the money as a client and you're set aside and you know what the plan is to invest that money when the market has a pullback, it does something for you psychologically where you can't be afraid of investing at the same time as you're buying into the investments. It's just psychologically impossible to be happy and sad truly in the same moment. It just doesn't happen. There's proof that, that you can't be in those same emotions at the same exact time. You can be so happy that you cry, but you're not really so happy you're sad. So those types of things we bring to our client situation and we prepare them to take advantage of downturns when they happen.
0: Look at their individual income, investments, maybe debt, assets, all that kind of stuff and create a plan, I guess. And and then is, is that how that works?
1: Yeah, we take a look at all the accounts that they have, but then we also analyze their cash flow, money coming in versus money going out. And just like when I was a personal trainer and I'd tell a client, hey, I need you to write down what you ate the last week because or the next week because the the scale's not changing. Like scientifically, the scale should be lower if you're eating what you say you're eating. If you're not, we need to adjust that. Well, people always say that they're eating less. And just like people always say that they're spending less. Having that conversation and we give all of our clients access to a financial website where they can link all of their bank accounts to And it draws a budget from what they've actually been spending money on. So that'll give you, and us as the financial advisor, the opportunity to really look at what you're spending each month. Sometimes we notice things that clients are spending extra money on. And I'm like, well, why do you have two or three streaming services? Do you know that you have them? Oh, yeah, I know. I just, was there any that you don't use? Sometimes it's a yes, sometimes a no. Sometimes it's something that we're not going to change that, but the clients now aware of it and it also lets us go in as the the financial planners and advisors and go back and say look this is wh- how much money you have coming in let's account for the money going out let's not overspend that money going out and let's develop a strategy for your finances so that they work for you and not against you and then we take those two things their accounts and their basically cash flow and we analyze it together towards where they want to be in life and what they want their financial future to look like and sometimes it's on point sometimes there's not much we need to do in terms of changing that other times there's a lot of work that needs to be done in strategizing with hey if you position things in a specific way, you'll avoid paying extra taxes. I don't think I've ever had a client come on board with us that wanted to pay more in taxes unless they were paying more in taxes at a lower percentage rate. So if I'm paying $100,000 a year in taxes, but I'm paying 50% of my income as taxes, you're probably not going to be happy as a client or as an investor. If you're paying $100,000 in taxes and it's at 10% or 12 or 13%, you're probably okay with that because that means you netted out almost over a million dollars. So, understanding the whole picture behind where a client's at and where they want to go in the future, and really
0: helping them develop and bring to life those goals. Well, I really appreciate your time today and all the information you provided. And again, people can find out more at adaptivewealthpartners.com and that other link, awpwealthbuilder.com. Be sure to grab your free copy of my list of 27 tools, resources, and software programs I use to run my businesses on a tight budget. You can get it at the forward slash 27 tools. That's t-h-e-s-a-r-a-h-s-t-j-o-h-n dot com forward slash 27 tools. Are you a frugalpreneur looking to connect with like-minded individuals? Join our community on Slack, connect with fellow listeners, share your thoughts on episodes, engage in meaningful discussions, including money-saving tips and entrepreneurial insights, and help shape the future of the Frugalpreneur podcast. Plus, you can submit your questions in written or audio form to be featured on the show. Let's build a supportive space together. Join us now at frugal.show forward slash slack. See you on the inside.